Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in as we continue our 2022 SEC Comment Letter Trend Series. This week, we're discussing the number two top trend and perennial favorite, non-GAAP measures. I think non-GAAP is unlike most other comments. Unless the staff is really direct in their approach to the comment, you're not necessarily sure what they're concerned with and why. My message is, don't be afraid even in round one to reach out to the staff. That was Kyle Moffat, a partner in the national office, who'll be helping us take a deep dive into the most challenging issues and common pitfalls that keep non-GAAP reporting a top trend. He'll also cover what's new and where we're seeing a higher frequency of comments this year related to non-GAAP that you won't want to miss. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Welcome, Kyle, to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today to talk about another SEC comment letter trend. This one in the area of non-GAAP measures, which... I don't know, I feel like maybe I could just like uh, re- recycle last yeah, year's Yeah, I don't know why we don't do that. Let's just cut it right now. <laughs> there you go. We could save like <laughs> half hour of time. But in any event, listeners, I promise we will have some new insights. So don't, uh, don't turn off right now. So, you know, as I was just saying, I know we've been talking about this for several years and it's continued to be a top comment letter theme, which kind of sounds like maybe either registrants aren't really listening, they don't really like the advice, or maybe there's a moving target a bit, or maybe all three. So we'll delve a little deeper into that in the podcast. But before we start, I always think it's helpful to level set and just remind people what we mean when we say non-GAAP measure. So the way that I think about it, and then I'll talk a little bit about what the rule actually says. But to me, I take a step back and say, well, this non-GAAP measures are a way for management to tell their story, supplement their story. So a supplement to the historical information presented. So um, yes, there are alternatives to GAP, but uh, management uses it right in in a way to inform an investor um, as to you know let's say the organic growth in the business or um, you know hey look at the particular period there was an impairment charge if you take that out you'll see you know our period over period growth and revenues or income net income that sort of thing and so. Um, and, and look, it's all based on what's presented in the GAAP financial statements. So, you know, a measure will become a non-GAAP measure, um, which will be subject to the SEC's rules um, and interpretive guidance when it excludes amounts that are included in or includes amounts that are excluded from the most directly comparable GAAP measure. So, you know, we have obviously the rules that apply. There's a lot of rules. Um, they were all adopted or issued in 20, uh, 2003. Um, in response to Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, so you have Regulation G, which would apply to all non-GAAP information presented anywhere. You also have Instruction 2 to Item 202 of Form 8K, which essentially covers earnings releases. And so it's a bit of a, a, a portion of Item 10, which I'll talk about next. But Item 10E of Regulation SK is the third area and that guidance applies to SEC filings. So, you know, you think about registration statements, periodic mm-hmm. filings. So there's a lot really in, in all of those to unpack. And then layer on top of that, 
that the SEC staff has a bunch of compliance and disclosure interpretations, what they call CNDIs, that have been issued by them over the years talking about how they interpret the existing non-GAAP rules. Essentially, they they highlight what they have concerns with um, or what they potentially would object to. Um, I think the the most important takeaway whenever I think about non-GAAP is – it can't be misleading. It can never be misleading. Um, if the staff perceives that a, a measure is misleading, they will likely object. And, and it, it's also pretty broad if you think about it, right? It, what is misleading? If it's in the staff's view or the staff's eyes, might be a little more than what the company or management believes. And so I think that's a lot of times where we see this kind of you know, the, the gap, right. And kind of the, the, how people are approaching non-gap and, and I don't think it'll change. Um, I think we'll continue to see this gap and continue to see a lot of comments from the SEC. So the gap in non-gap, that's, that's right. uh, quite the, that's quite right. the phrase that could be the title right. of this podcast. So then Kyle, when you're running through all that guidance for our listeners benefit, I started making a face at him because it's a lot. For it's a people. lot. I know. It's a lot. Uh, I highlight it because there's so much. Exactly. <laughs> it almost seems like they need to make that compendium or something I know, else. I know. Uh, but putting that aside, and I know we'll get into this later, some of those items that uh, I'll be asking you at least which ones are always good to refresh on. But is there anything new from a guidance perspective that you know companies should focus on? There's not much uh, new with respect to the guidance. Um, the guidance, you know, they, they updated in 2016 um, with respect to the, the interpretations. Um, they've also updated it since then. They, they had some in the M&A space that they added to, and I don't think it impacted very many companies, but, um, and that was probably 2018, 2019. Um, but, but not much that's new. I'd say that what's new though is the, the leadership. What's new is, you know, the, the focus of this current administration on issues, um, focus on investor protection, um, non-GAAP tends to kind of come up as something the staff regulators are concerned about. And so, um, so I think we've seen some the SEC challenge um, some companies, not just their presentations, um, but also ones that, that maybe have certain adjustments um, that, that have been historically presented, but then now they're saying, nope, we don't want you to do that anymore. And so, you know, that that's, I think, a little bit of a change is, you know, the views have evolved as far as what the staff is willing to accept in the way of non-GAAP measures and adjustments. All right. So definitely we could want to delve a little more into that. But before we do, maybe it's helpful to level set and talk about just from your perspective, we think about all this guidance and the fact that it is sort of in the eye of the beholder. What are, in your view, some of the more challenging areas for yeah. companies to think about? As I said, the rules aren't easy to navigate. I've said that before. Um, I think the biggest challenge is, 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 is running afoul of, or potential for running afoul of some of the key principles in the staff's not gap guidance. And so I think the first one that I've already mentioned is just the misleading, right? So um, a lot of judgment involved with that assessment. And oftentimes the staff is going to have a different view from management. Um, so an example would be, you know, if you are making adjustments to use uh, some sort of tailored accounting principle. So you're substituting one recognition and measurement method for another. So let's say you don't like the new revenue standard. It's not new anymore, but you don't like ASC 606 and you say, hey, I don't want to apply that. I want to apply some alternative uh, revenue recognition approach. The staff is not going to accept it. They will absolutely object and make the company revisit or change. Um, another misstep, I'd say a common one is just when companies are adding back, you know, normal 
recurring cash operating costs. And so I know there's a lot of words in there. You mm-hmm. look up normal and it means something. You look up recurring, it means something. Frankly, the staff looks at something and says, hey, if this is a, an operating expense and you're adjusting for it, you better have a good reason for it. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen you know, situations where the staff has weighed in and said, look, this appears to be core to your business, or you've indicated this is part of your strategy. You cannot adjust for this cost because it's recurring from period to period. Even if it's happened just once, let's mm-hmm. say in 2022, and it happened once in 2021, the staff's going to view that as recurring. And so that's something to keep in mind. And, and if you're going to do that, make sure you don't call it recurring because or non-recurring yes. because it actually is recurring. So that's that's another area. Um, I think just really with the increase in usage of non-GAAP, you know, not just the number of companies using the measure, but obviously all of the measures that each company presents, right? It's, I think it's helpful to take a step back, understand what it is you're presenting, why you're trying to present it. How are you complying with the rules? And then, of course, as you think about it, if you're doing that every year, the SEC is as well. Right. They're looking at the, the evolution of these disclosures. So, of course, it's going to be a top comma letter trend, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's always on their radar. Exactly. Well, and it's, I mean, if you think about the importance from an investor point of view, if you think about the sort of SEC's overall objective, then, you know, of right. course they're focused on this. Mm-hmm. So maybe before, again, we delve into more details, if we think about the overall landscape, obviously we have Gensler in place and, you know, he talked to one of our earlier podcasts just about his sort of over attitude to comments and otherwise. So how is Chair Gensler impacting the types of letters we're seeing? You know, as I think about just the comments I'm seeing on non-GAAP, what I always will highlight is, look, there's a lot of judgment involved, and you have agency leadership who's pushing for the staff to issue more comments. So, um, and, and that, frankly, is always going to lead to an uptick in comments. And it's going to lead to an uptick in comments on those areas of judgment or those areas that are evolving, like non-GAAP and some of these other topics we're talking about. And we've talked about what the commentary is from the Hill, from SEC leadership of cops on the beat. Um, and so obviously that's going to lead the staff to start to focus more on it, right? And and they see the green light to, to issue comments and, and they're going to take it. Um, so that's probably the first thing. I think one of the things that I have seen a, a trend um, or maybe a little bit of an evolution is just the the staff challenging the use of these metrics and adjustments that they've been presenting for years and years. We saw this in the pharma space um, with with the pharma companies were actually adjusting for the significant upfront uh, expenditures. So basically upfront cash payments that are expensed um, or even you know the milestone payments as part of the collaboration arrangements. Um, the SEC objected to that, and they told uh, these farmer companies who've been doing this for for a few years um, that they should no longer be adjusting for it because they are R and D expenditures. They appear to be the core to the business, and that they're falling the bucket of being recurring cash operating expenses. And so that's that little ch- that change there. I think we'll continue to see similar uh, you know evolution in their approach to comments. Um, and interestingly, and I, I just highlight this, we have seen an uptick. So we have seen, um, I'd say probably about 30%, uh, a 30% increase in the number of comment letters on non-GAAP. So obviously it doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. I think that'll continue to go up. I think we're going to see a lot of non-GAAP and MD&A type comments uh, in the coming year. 
All right. Well, the 30% increase is definitely not an immaterial amount. So maybe delving then into some of what we're seeing, what are some of the trends? And I mean, you've mentioned a few I want to go back to, but let's hear the current trends first. So I'd say that the comments are, are largely unchanged. Um, the main themes are always, you know, presentation of the gap um, with equal or greater prominence than the non-gap. That's that's kind of the first one. So the big point there is, look, make sure that your non-gap is not jumping off the page at an investor, that you are balancing your disclosures with the gap and the gap first. Uh, you need to provide a reconciliation. Um, there are some companies that, you know, may not even realize that they have a non-GAAP measure. And so they may not accompany it with all the non-GAAP disclosures that are required, which would include a reconciliation to the most comparable GAAP measure. Um, the appropriateness of adjustments, which I already talked about, um, but just looking at how the staff, you know, the staff will, through their eyes, looks at any adjustments for an expense and says, hey, if you're going to eliminate or smooth your, your income or your earnings, Maybe we don't like that too much. Or if there's an adjustment that's so quantitatively material, that definitely draws the attention of the staff. Um, but I, I think the other thing is just how management, uh, the disclosure surrounding why it's useful. Why is the measure useful? Why is it important? Or why should investors consider it when evaluating the the financial condition and results of the registrants? Um, so I'd say those are probably the biggest thing, uh, the things to think about. Um, as far as kind of what's new, I'd say just the, the things that stand out to me most are they're revisiting these metrics and challenging them. We're seeing them more in the way of challenges to how measures are titled. So how have you labeled it or how have you presented it? They're looking at you know presentations and objecting. If you're going to present a non-GAAP income statement, they're going to tell you you can't do that. They're, they're telling you to take it out. I mentioned the tone of the comments. The other piece is just the revisions, the potential for a company to have to go back, you know, let's say in their next earnings release, but they're going to have to recast prior periods to show essentially the impact of no longer adjusting for a particular not, you know, item to their non-GAAP performance measure or liquidity measure. So that's something that, that they need to be thinking of is that it, it could have an impact and it could have an impact in your next filing. So Kyle, one of the things you've mentioned a few times here, and I just have to follow up, is this concept that I may have a non-GAAP measure I've reported for a few years that now the staff is questioning. So if I'm listening to this, absent a question from the staff, should I be reevaluating my own measures? You know, that, that just seems very difficult because it's almost like if yeah. I've reported it over and over, you kind of get a level of comfort that, yes, that must be okay. I think that's a fair point. Um, one of the things that 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 I think people need to be paying attention to in their disclosures. First of all, you have disclosures throughout any filing subject to disclosure controls and procedures, right? And so my view is if you're going to disclose some sort of metric or measure, you better make sure you understand what rules apply to it. And so, and it's not just the non-GAAP, right? It's obviously you're talking about GAAP, you have statistics, you have key performance indicators, and there's guidance that addresses that. There's, um, I think, an interpretive release in 2019 or 2020 that addresses KPIs, um, but but a lot in the way of guidance out there that would uh, you know essentially apply to those disclosures. So you got to make sure. The other thing that people get confused a lot is the pro forma disclosures. So there are some that you have not just a pro forma, you could have a pro forma non-GAAP measure. Right. And so it's understanding what rules apply 
and and then figuring out, okay, how are we going to frame the disclosures to comply with the specific requirements? All right. So it sounds like even if you do have something you've been reporting, it is worth relooking yeah. and making sure you are in compliance well, with that's, the rules. And we talked about this before with yeah. the prior podcast, just, hey, read that filing cover to cover, right? And so you definitely want to make sure that you're looking throughout your filing, revisiting them every period before you file, before you're updating, take that fresh read. Right. And I guess even in the case of a non-recurring expense, and I know you said to be sensitive, but I mean, reasonably, there is something that the first time it happened, you did think it was non-recurring, and then now it has occurred a few times, and so that that's is a, also that's a great point. going to yep. cause reassessment. So, yep. Okay, that's helpful. So then let's go back to some of the other kind of new areas you mentioned, and specifically one that caught my ear was the fact that just the titling or naming of the measure may be something the staff is focused on. And that that's interesting because I almost feel like often people just skip over the title and they go straight to the measure. So what do we see going on so, there? So that this one's an interesting one. And I actually, I have to admit, I've I've issued this comment or actually drafted a comment for, you know, for, for a review team. So we can team. blame you then, Yeah, Kyle. when I was at the SEC. So years and years ago. So um but but it's it's essentially the view that the staff expects that the title is not confusingly similar to GAP. So the non-GAP title is not similar to the GAP. And so let's say you present a non-GAP measure labeled as operating cash flow. That sounds an awful lot like cash flows from operations, uh, yes. right? From operating <laughs> activities. The staff's going to ask you to revise the measure. I've seen that. I've seen mm-hmm. it a number of times. You've seen, you've given, I've, probably. I've <laughs> given that comment a number of times. Um, you know, also seen the staff issue comments for titles to be more aligned with the actual description of the measure, right? So, hey, don't call it non-GAAP net income. Call it what it really is. Mm-hmm. It's a non-GAAP blah, 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 right? Like right. they're asking for more in the way of, hey, how does that label really relate to the description or, that you provided? Um, or if you're making adjustments, I think one, one that really stands out to me, um, or actually a couple is, you know, when you make adjustments to free cash flows that go beyond deducting, let's say, capital expenditures uh, from cash flows, from operating activities, right? And so I think the staff's view is, look, that's how you should calculate it. If you do any further adjustments from that, you better call it adjusted free mm-hmm. cash flows. Same thing applies to EBITDA. If you're making further adjustments to EBITDA, let's say stock comp or something else, restructuring costs, you better call that adjusted EBITDA too and highlight and highlight it, right? Your reconciliation will highlight it, but you need to describe why you're adjusting for that particular stock comp charge or restructuring charge. Um, obviously, you know, they're, they're obvious, right? Like there's no, it's not like this is something that's like novel, but I think it's important to highlight that the title definitely matters. Well, and I also think this is an area, you know, we've talked about some areas that are difficult to update or, or you know, if you're going to make a change, it's a big change. Changing the title is actually not that hard. Right. So this is, right. I, maybe I'll call it in the easier column of things that people can kind of take away and, and address. So good reminder there. Now, another one we, you mentioned was challenging specific adjustments. And this always interests me because it's not the whole measure, but it's just some right. specific part of it. So what can you share with us? So again, it goes to the point about normal recurring, right? And And there's a CDI that says basically be careful about making these kinds of adjustments. Um, As I think about how you define normal, you think about recurring, the staff has a lot of discretion there, right? So they can use a lot of judgment and they can hold your feet to the fire and they will. 
Um, and, and we've seen that I've, I've, you know, I've been part of that. And I think now we continue to see that, that approach, you know, as far as others, right? Like if you're adjusting to exclude essentially what you believe is uh, a non-recurring item, right? We talked about, don't call it, you know, a non-recurring item. If it's truly not non-recurring, mm-hmm. um, one, one that I've talked about when we've talked about our climate disclosures, yes. the footnote disclosures is adjustments that companies would want to make for lost revenue. And so, you know, let's say you you believe you've lost revenue due to the impacts of COVID or the impacts of the Russia-Ukraine war. The staff will definitely object to any adjustments to add back revenue that was not earned in a given period. So I think those are, again, I, I think they're obvious, but they are the, the specific adjustment that the staff has a history of objecting to and will continue to object to. But it also highlights the fact that it is very judgmental. Well, and so if, obviously, if you have those adjustments, another good place to maybe start and make some changes. But Kyle, I'm glad you mentioned the climate disclosures, because I was going to ask you about this. And just to recap for the listeners that maybe are not following this to the minute detail that Kyle and I are, uh, the SEC's climate proposal actually proposes to include lost revenue. Right, right. And so that just seems in opposition to this guidance on non-GAAP. But what you're saying is that do not read anything into that. They are still going to object. They are still objecting to adjustments for lost revenue. Ignore for now, for now, until we have another podcast or webcast on climate, but ignore that. Okay. (laughs) Well, at least specific to these non-GAAP measures, ignore that. All right. That's, I think, a really important reminder because I do think that raised some questions when when we saw Mm -hmm. that. So, all right. So let's keep going. So how about, here's another good one. And we are going to have a separate podcast about um, current macroeconomic impacts and looking at current events. But I think interaction with non-GAAP measures is a, a big issue here where a lot of times something unusual happens or the economy is not good. And so people do want to reflect that in the non-GAAP measures. So how do you think about that interaction? I think the staff has been pretty good about highlighting their expectations. So I think if you look back at some court fin disclosure guidance topics um, that they issued during COVID, th- those are really good to, to take a look at because I think it applies broadly um, to topics like COVID mm-hmm. that impact you in a negative way, um, that that you would highlight that people want to hi- obviously highlight those impacts in the form of non-GAAP measures. And the staff has kind of put out a lot of thoughts about, well, you got to make sure that, that those costs should not, let's say you incurred certain costs to clean facilities. Um, if you don't intend to continue to to have those costs in the future, then maybe that would make sense to make those adjustments. Although we have seen mm-hmm. some companies get letters indicating the staff's objected even to those types of adjustments. So I think it's, it's definitely being careful because the staff, the, while the staff understands that management wants to tell its story, they want to explain how they're being impacted and they know, and they understand that investors can see that pretty clearly by looking at a non-GAAP disclosure and seeing the reconciliation, um, they also know that that a lot of times registrants may be tempted to create you know new metrics um, or adjusting existing ones mm-hmm. to essentially make it look like they're doing better than they really are. That that's how the staff really is thinking about it. They're thinking about it from the investor protection lens, right? Not necessarily always management's lens, mm-hmm. and so they want to make sure that you know, hey, if you're going to present this measure. Are you trying to present a far more favorable picture of performance or even liquidity than the comparable gap metric? Um, and I think th- that's always on the back of their mind, which means 
they're always going to issue comments. And so if you're mindful of that as you go through your preparation and, and your disclosure, evaluating your disclosure, you shouldn't have any problems. Um, but again, it is something that we have seen um, registrants. In fact, and we get a lot of questions on the topic too. Um, what types of adjustments are we seeing the staff be, you know, or what are they comfortable with, with companies doing? A lot of specific questions about particular expenditures. So another one would be the cost of moving your systems to the cloud, right? Well, what is considered to be an ongoing cost? Will you continue to incur those costs? Or is there a significant upfront amount? Like, how is it structured? Are they incremental costs? Are they going to be costs that you will not incur in 2024 or 2025? Okay, maybe that makes some sense. So those are some things to think about. Truly, are they going to be something that costs that you will see in the future or not? Right. It all comes down to that whole recurring concept. So, Kyle, one question that's sort of an aside, but definitely related is and is this include narrative disclosure? So let's say I wanted to talk about some cleaning costs. You gave that example or, you know, whatever, moving to the cloud. Can I give? Oh, well, I had net income of blah, blah, but it would have been. X amount higher if I hadn't had these costs associated with moving to the cloud, for example. The moment that you take the next step in your example to then present a non-gap measure, right, that actually says we went from the gap, we took out this expense or this income item, and then we have this non-gap measure, that's what you need to be thinking about. You have a non-gap performance measure that you're presenting. If you are highlighting the impacts on your net income, on your you know, various expense line items in the income statement. That's what the staff expects. The staff expects that's that MD&A, disclosure. It's right? MD&A disclosures. Yes. Yes. It's, it's what you would disclose in your earnings releases. I think it's good disclosures. The thing that I say is if you plan to highlight, let's say, a negative, a huge expense that you don't think you'll have in the future, the staff has objected to your presentation, right? Let's say the pharma companies are a good example. Mm-hmm. If you are no longer adjusting for this significant upfront expense, you still have a non-GAAP measure. Let's say you're presenting an adjusted EBITDA, but you're not adjusting for that. You could then have, let's say, you know, disclosure, narrative disclosure that explains this you know, adjusted mm-hmm. EBITDA line item or adjusted EBITDA measure is inclusive of a significant charge that we took in 2021 of X amount and then 2022 of Y amount. So people understand the impact on the number. But the moment you do the total, that's when it goes to non-GAAP land. So it's definitely one where where I think companies, we often advise companies that, hey, you can provide the details. Mm-hmm. Just don't do the math. Um, it sounds odd, um, but that has been the historical position or view of the staff. And so I'd say that for the most part, we have seen a good number of companies take that approach and, and it works. It works well. Yeah. And I think you made the comment about telling your story and that's what made me start thinking about yep. it. Is this is a great way companies still do have the opportunity to tell their story. It's just don't do the tabular format yes, and don't exactly. do the math. <laughs> and, 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 and make sure it's balanced too. That's right. the other point is don't just talk about this negative impact. If you had a gain in the period mm-hmm. as well that you're not talking about, you better talk about it because that's basically you're misleading investors. That has nothing to do with non-GAAP. It's just misleading disclosure. Right. So just being balanced. Okay. I think that's helpful. So then in that sort of context, if we look ahead to this year end, what are some of the things that registrants should be thinking about You know, with their annual reports and earnings releases specific to non-GAAP? 
I think make sure that each non-GAAP measure is clearly described. Uh, why are you using the measure? Uh, what's the measure designed to do? What's it designed to present? Explain its usefulness. Why is it relevant? How should an investor be thinking about it? How is it useful to an investor? Make sure that you have reconciliations. Uh, make sure that you're leading with the right number. You're not leading with the non-GAAP. You're leading with the GAAP. And then you're reconciling to the non-GAAP, right? Because that then come, begs the question of, is it more prominent if you lead with the non-GAAP in the reconciliation? Um, I think the, the other thing is, is, what are you reconciling to? Is it the right number? Is it the most directly comparable measure? And so one of the areas we've seen a lot of comments on more recently, and, and it was even happening when I was at the staff towards the end of my tenure there, we've seen companies present a margin such as, let's say, contribution margin. And as a non-GAAP measure, and then they reconcile it, let's say, to revenues. So basically, they're just showing the calculation. Mm -hmm. The staff basically takes a step back and is saying, look, if you're going to present any sort of margin, right, like contribution margin, you better make sure you have actually reconciled it to a fully loaded GAAP gross margin, which means if you're not even presenting it in your income statement, Mm -hmm. You still need to present it somewhere in your MDNA when you're doing the reconciliation. You have to show how you calculated the gap gross margin, which will include an allocation of all sorts of costs, right? There, there's a SAB topic that requires depreciation, depletion of assets, mm-hmm. that to be allocated to cost of revenues, that could impact your gross margin. So those are things that companies definitely kind of you know get crossed up with the staff on. Um, so we're seeing a lot of comments on that from the staff today. Um, and I think the other point is just... Don't cherry pick. As mm-hmm. I said, the gains and the losses, make sure that you're balanced. You're discussing the positive and negative impacts. The final one is, and, and this is the most important, don't underestimate the importance of robust policies, procedures, and controls surrounding the non-GAAP metrics. It's always good also to have the board or the audit committee aware of what you are presenting and why. Well, and I guess to that point, then it's even making sure the adjustments you're including are subject to the same rigor as some of the other numbers you're presenting, because you don't want to get questions and then find that there's problems there. So Kyle, earlier in the podcast, you referenced some guidance that was issued during COVID. And if I'm thinking of the guidance correctly, it was issued in maybe March or April of 2020. And I distinctly remember you saying it's not that long and companies should read it. And you mentioned it again. Portfolio Disclosure Guidance Topic Number Nine, and I think Nine A, right? Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. Is that is that my question? Is that my stump? The no, no, guest? sadly no. Oh, man. But I was more going to say is it sounds like you are still recommending companies. Yes. Okay, Absolutely. so and I I do have to. And, you know, say, I remember reading that myself. And we talked at the very beginning about the complexity of all these rules. That is a very good place to kind of look for some good reminders. So we'll include a link in the show notes. And I think that's a great idea. Good piece of advice. Mm -hmm. So then that's my answer to to this next question. But let me ask you the final question prior to the stump the guest. So what suggestions do you have for companies? Maybe I'll I, mine was more so on preparing them. I'll have your question be more so focused on responding to SEC comments on not, non-GAAP measures. What types of things should they think about? I think non-GAAP is unlike most other comments um, because, as I said, it's it's unless the staff is really direct in their approach to the comment, you're, you're not necessarily sure 
what they're concerned with and why. Um, sometimes you see comments from the staff indicating, we believe this measure is misleading, please remove it. Well, why is it misleading? Can we understand what your concerns are? And so I think my message is don't be afraid even in round one to reach out to the staff. I mean, typically companies don't. Um, they typically will defer until they get further along in the, re- in the process with the staff before they reach out. I would say if you've gotten a couple of comments on non-GAAP measures and, and it's not really clear what the staff is asking or what their concerns are, reach out to them, have a call with them, get clarity, and then respond. Um, the, the guidance is there. Reference the guidance. Um, that's the important thing. Understand what guidance applies to that particular mm-hmm. filing, right? That's why it's important to say, okay, there are those three different requirements or sets of rules that apply to these types of filings, right? So understand what applies to what, you know, in your specific filing. So if you're in an earnings release, the rules are different, mm-hmm. right? Than what you'd find with a 10K filing, because there are certain prohibitions for 10Ks and, and Qs that you need to abide by. Um, and so that's, those are the points I'd say are probably most important. Well, and I think in particular, and I think that you've said this before for other comments as well, the idea of talking to the staff, instead of having two or three back and forths, one conversation to understand what they're looking for is going to let you respond better and probably will make the staff happier as well because they are going to get the information they're looking for. Yeah. And I think that's, the, I think people think the staff doesn't want to have those, you know, interactions. And and I'll tell you that that absolutely is super helpful. Um, I when I was at the staff, that was something that 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 all, everyone was always perfectly comfortable doing. Having calls, they're used to having calls with the public. That's their job. So, um, you know, don't don't underestimate the importance of having that conversation. Sometimes it gives you a flavor for really how strongly they feel about it. Right. And so um, that's the other thing. It's, 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 it's definitely worth the time uh, and effort um, because I think to, to your point, right. Getting the right uh, response in and getting it in quickly um, and getting to resolution will help obviously the company in meeting expectations, right. If they're made or being forced to by the staff essentially to remove a measure or change, you know, reflect no longer reflect an adjustment. They probably want to make sure they can message that to, to their shareholder base that, that analysts are aware of it, right? Because the last thing that they want is, is, hey, we're in mid-year, we have to change our measure. How do we actually communicate this, right? So having that conversation um, on the front end, it makes a lot of sense. All right, very helpful. And and definitely, I think, across the board for all comments, not just for these non-GAAP ones. Yep. So Kyle, that brings us up to my favorite part. So you, I'll just remind our listeners, if you didn't listen to our first podcast in the series, so far, Kyle is one for two. So 500, which if you're a baseball team would be fantastic. I'd be happy. Exactly. So these are both on non-GAAP, and I do have a hint for the first one. So from July 1, 2018 to June 30, 2021. So a little dated, but relatively recently. What percent of companies used at least one non-GAAP measure in an IPO? Oh, in an IPO? I'd say at least 85%. You are so close, and that was without a hint. So I'm going to give you full credit because with the hint, my hints were 25, 50, 75, and 100. You clearly would have said 75. Yep. And the answer is 73. So yep. good job. Yep. So now you are two for three. You are really moving up. <laughs> <laughs> so then what was the average number of non-GAAP measures disclosed per filing? And I believe this is also, it is. During also, that period? Well, and in, in, in IPOs during that period. 
So the number of measures yes. presented by particular... Yeah. So on average, how many measures did a, a, um, an IPO filer present? Well, there are some I've seen that you know, repeated non-gap, you know, 85, 90 pages. I won't say the company's names, but um, I would say probably four or five. So again, so close. We're three, which I mean, really right ballpark yep. because you're not saying like 15 and you're not right, saying right, one. So right. um, I'll give you- Pretty least, close. I'll give Half you at credit. least partial credit yeah. for that Half one. Credit. So yeah, Half so your, your average is going up. So Kyle, <laughs> as always, such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.